Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And we are here today, I'm excited to say, with Lori Ann Doyle, who is the author of the book, World Gone Missing, praised by New York Times bestselling author Eden Lepucky. I know her name, but I actually have never said it out loud, so I don't know. Is that about right? <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. Yeah, Eden Lepucky, for delivering, quote, powerful portrayals of people desiring connection, hope, and renewal, and named a top book pick by the East Bay Express. Winner of the Alligator Juniper National Fiction Award and a Pushcart Prize nominee, Lori's stories and personal essays have appeared in the Los Angeles Review, Timber, Jabberwock Review, Under the Sun, and many other literary journals. She co-founded the long-running literary series Babylon Salon and teaches writing at the San Francisco Writers Grotto and UC Berkeley. And you can find her online at laurieandoyle.com and her book, World Gone Missing, which we'll talk more about. So welcome, Lori. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy you are here. So we start each episode talking about what we're working on, and we're going to start with us so that once we get through with us, we are done with us. <laughs> so Angie, and we have our dog bandit here. He's just sound effects. Um, well, I have a dog too, so they can bark at each other. Excellent. <laughs> He's official pet of the story. Yes. All right, Angie, what are you working on? Well, uh, I am going into the umpteenth round of revision for the film. Well, you we had showed exciting... the film to cast and crew yesterday. So, no, Saturday. Saturday, we had our first big cast and crew screening. Yeah. And so that oh, was really congratulations. Fun. Thank you. Um, it was so fun, right? It was like a lot to of be fun. in a room with like 45 people, even though they all knew elements of it. You know, the, the the laughter and all. It's really different than showing it to, like, your, your eight friends in your living room. Over and over. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so you come out of that with another list. So uh, that's my, my next thing so is exciting. my next list for that film. Yeah. But that's really exciting. And I also have, sort of have exciting news because I heard back from my agent and she's started reading my manuscript. And not only that, but she's getting me notes kind of as she goes so that I can be working on it with the idea that we try to get it out there soon, um, which I feel excited hey. about. Yeah, it's, you know, I feel really ready. <laughs> so, um, so it's been fun to get her notes. And of course, you know, the, the just the, the different emotional reactions of like, what? To like, oh, yeah, that's great. And mostly, you know, I think she's really smart. So I'm you know, Most diving in. And I'm also talking to neurologists this week. That's that's part of my revision, talking to neurologists. Oh, yeah. doing research. Mm -hmm. Getting a little more clarity about some of the finer points of the sort of memory and language issues. So, hmm. yeah. So, Lori, what are you working on right now? Well, um, yeah, World Gone Missing is out in the world, which is exciting. Um, and now I've started on my first novel, which is loosely based on my grandparents, mm. my maternal grandparents, who were winemakers actually in Healdsburg. Oh. So it's partially located in um, Sonoma County. But the majority of the book happens in San Francisco before, during, and after the 1906 earthquake. Cool. And one of Angie's favorite uh, historical books. <laughs> yes. Quite, the more I researched, the, the more I realized it was just really... There's kind of before the earthquake in San Francisco and after the earthquake. I bet. Um, and so this experience really changed them in very different ways. Changed um, the main 
male, male character and the main female character in different ways. Sara and Lorenzo are their names. Oh, <laughs> we have a Lorenzo. <laughs> you have a Lorenzo yeah, as one a of son? Our... Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What a gorgeous name. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> well, um, my maternal grandparents were Italian immigrants, so immigration will definitely come into it. And Enrico Caruso makes an appearance. Uh-huh. Of course, right? <laughs> he has to. Um, also, Ar Arnold Genth. I don't know if you've heard of him. Mm -mm. He was quite a famous photographer at the turn of the 19th century. He made a lot of photographs uh, of um, Greta Garbo and Isidore Duncan. He was one of the first who really was wanted to have a candid rather than kind of a pose, stiff mm -hmm. pose a look. And also the Palace Hotel, Union Square and other places figure prominently. So it's been really kind of interesting. I've been doing research. I've also been just, you know how you research your own life when you're writing a book? You yeah. think about, wow, well, what is my connection to this? And mm. has this ever happened to me? And if this happened to, you know, all of these things and right. delving into family portraits and just really interesting stuff. It is really fun. I, I always think that, you know, all our skills as a writer come from our skills as, as readers. And so, of course, when we read a book, we're identifying or we're thinking about what would I do and how would I feel. And, and of course, we have to do that when we're writing so intensely. Yes. Yeah, I also think that our skills come, this is lately what I've been thinking, that our skills come from just living life. You know, what, what it's like to live life and what it's like to, you know. Um, or paying attention to that. Yes, paying attention is really important. It can take a while. To um, you know, I'm like writing about her high school graduation. I'm thinking, well, what was my high school graduation like? Yeah. Right. I mean, of, and, of course, completely different. Go ahead. Right. Well, I was going to say, you know, um, I actually also have Italian family oh. who grew who grew who had this big vineyard over in Glen Ellen and oh, wow. cool. uh, came at the turn of the century <laughs> brought their grapevines with them kind of thing and there are a lot of stories in our family about you know how they would drive over from that side of the county to the west side of the county <laughs> dance halls in Guerneville and um, and so it is interesting to think about the ways in which our lives apply and don't. Yeah. It's when you do the historical right. piece. Right. But for me, I find it important to find some kind of touchstone, whether, it, whether oh, the, this was, my experience was really different. The experience was like this. I've been reading this, like, Hillsburg Enterprise, 1904, you know. Mm. So it, it's just been really interesting. But, um, yeah. It's, well, we have something in common, Angie. Yes, I love funny. that. <laughs> um, I also, I, I always, when you were thinking, you know, saying our life experience is one of our major tools, that, you know, that's one of the great things I always remind my students is we, you know, we're not like, um, ice skaters or violin players where, you know, you have to start when you're four and you're done at, you know, 24 <laughs> or whatever. So. Right. I mean, not violin players are not done at 24. But in any case, yes, we're just getting better with time like wine. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So, um, so we, so you're you're working on a novel now, and World Gone Missing is a collection of stories. So maybe right. the first thing is to talk about, you know, how has it been different for you to just you know, to work on a novel, and how did you take what did you what could you take from the collection uh, experience, and what you know, and what did you have to sort of shift around? 
Well, the similarities are, you know, just crafting a novel, crafting a narrative, excuse me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like I have a sense of what, though I can't promise this every time, mm -hmm. certainly not in the first draft, but what can, you know, what holds the reader's attention, what, um, what, and also interestingly how important economy is. I continue to really experience how important economy is no matter if you have you know 60,000 5,000 words 60,000 words 90,000 words you know it's like you still can't waste a word mm -hmm. um and you know some of some of my I see some of my themes coming back like the kind of fact that life is cannot be guaranteed mm -hmm. um I love I also love things kind of that are defamiliarized. So when there's a catastrophe, like in um, the 1906 earthquake, there's certainly a lot of things that just are, you know, you, people are operating from, from, from nothing. You know, the whole world is defamiliarized. Yeah. And I love, and I love that in writing just the way we can get a new sense of what life looks like. Um, you're, you're so what's different is that, you know, I can't see the finishing line in a story. <laughs> <laughs> the horizon, you're swimming across the ocean. <laughs> in a story, I was like, because I'm, I'm working on a story, too, which has been fun. Um, and I'm like, wow, I, I have a sense of the finishing line. This feels really good. Uh -huh. um, but in a novel, you know, I I don't. And I, and I don't know if what I'm writing, I mean, I have, I feel like, Part of the point is to get lost a little. Mm -hmm. Part of the point is to digress um, or digress. And so, you know, that feels really different. Um, I'm getting to know my characters, I think. Although some of my characters I knew really well, but I would say I'm getting to know Lorenzo and Sara in much more profound ways than I did in, in the short stories, um, just because I have more... I have more space to talk about them and to mm -hmm. show them and to reveal them. And I have that opportunity to understand them. Um, they have, they have morphed so far from my maternal grandparents, I want to say. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I think though, it, it's nice again to have that connection because it's, it's so interesting to look back in time and to think about, these people not as antiques, but as living, breathing people, you know, immersed. Yeah. And that's what I want to do is in the novel is obviously immerse people. So there, so there's, um, you know, like what makes a story feels really similar. Um, but what feels different is the sense of, of space and mm -hmm. the sense of, um, it'll be, you know, it's a multi-year project for yeah. sure. <laughs> well, so then what, what drives a short story writer to say, you know what? I want to write a massive project. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, I haven't done one. Of, I haven't, I haven't written that yet. I want to. Mm -hmm. um, I think some of it is just like, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's the next, that's the next thing for me. I wrote a collection. Now I want to write a novel. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like I don't lo love short stories. I completely love short stories. I completely continue to read them and write them. But this idea of having this this canvas that is big is really appealing. Yeah, it's it's, actually, it's interesting because um, 
I'm reading, you know, I'm, I'm rereading your collection. And then I am also rereading or reading for the first time, Amika Perks's collection um, oh, yeah. is coming on the podcast. So I'm, and, and I think there's a way in which, um, I don't know exactly the right way to say this, but you know, we're, we're in this, you know, golden age of television. There's a lot of like really interesting episodic writing happening in television. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I think it's, um, I don't know if I was in in mind of that when I was, you know, reading both these books and not, not that they are like television, but there's a certain kind of pleasure in going in and reading a complete story, you know, before I go to sleep. Um, Yes. You know, and and kind of finishing it. And yet it's part of a collection. So it doesn't feel standalone either. Yes. 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 And I think that's the mark of a great, of a great collection is that, is that each story kind of echoes and amplifies the others yeah um even though i don't have um you know there's not the same set of characters that are appearing in each story i'm hoping that this theme of missing people going missing Mm -hmm. um is is something that people are are feeling wow we can look at it this way we can look at it that way this it can happen like this definitely and um yeah so the other thing i would say about the similarity is that novels do have stories like smaller stories embedded in them. And I'm, I'm writing those, you know, often I'm often writing those stories. Sometimes they're just scenes or I shouldn't say just scenes. Mm -hmm. They're extended scenes, Mm -hmm. multi-page scenes. But um, yeah, so it isn't, I, I, I'm not, of course I'm someone who would never diss the short story, which they tend to be dissed out in the world. Mm. disrespected, but um, I just think they're different. I think they're, I think they're completely different and I'm not sure, frankly, that one is easier than the other. They're just different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, the short story, you know, that's the journeyman's work. That's the work you do when you're working, you know, you're getting kind of your chops right. to write a novel. And I don't agree with that at all. Yeah. No, I actually often think like, oh, I should write a short story in between things. And I, I never, I never want, I used, I did write short stories and I'm interested in them, but it doesn't feel like, oh, I can just pop over, yeah, yeah, pop over and run, make a, you know, make a short story. Right. Without kind of being immersed in that art. Um, No, and there's something that drives a short story that's really, I mean, maybe it's different. I mean, they can be voice driven. They can be moment driven. Um, but they can also be, I mean, look at Chekhov, you know, he covers decades Yeah, in yeah. short stories. Yeah, they're almost novelistic. Yes. Um, I want to zero in on the story we, we talked about, talking about, but I want to ask you first if the theme came first or if it was, <laughs> you, or not, or if it came after you were looking <laughs> Well, um, Elizabeth, I do want to thank you for reading an early draft of my collection. It was really nice of you. And your feedback was very helpful. And I think you saw it when I was trying to impose a theme Mm -hmm. and the theme was not working. Mm. Um, So, you know, my advice to people who are listening is that, you know, let the theme kind of evolve. Let the theme rise from your work. Yeah. So this idea of missing, people going missing, that didn't really show up until I had about six or seven stories written. Mm-hmm. And um, when I when I thought about it, I thought, wow, um, there is something so powerful about what's off stage as well as what's front and center. Um, and so... I just began to explore that. And once I had six or seven stories, then I became, I wrote, I wrote some and, you know, 
filled in some gaps or whatever, but mm -hmm. filled in some places that I thought, wow, it would be cool to look at the idea of missing in this way or look at it in that way. But what I began to realize is that, you know, people can disappear in many more ways than you think. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the book, we have a brother who simply does not show up one night and yeah. he turns into a missing person. Yeah. That's and we have a story. Yeah, that's very powerful. Story. That's a great story. Thank you. Um, and then we have a father who takes off for California in the late 60s, you know, and abandons his wife and daughter. And his daughter comes back to look for him. And that's, you know, ask for hate man. And we have stories about adoption. We even have a ghost story, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is... Which is, you know, this idea, which sort of brings front and center this idea of haunting, that you can be haunted, again, by something that's not there. You can be obsessed, even, by something that's not fully, that's not present, not literally present. Right. So in, in or best offer, so one of the, just to tell our listeners, I so I asked Lori to pick a short story because when we're talking about longer works, um, so, you know, sometimes it's just harder to cover as much. Um, uh -huh. And, and you know, and, and I thought it, it might give us a chance to kind of look at the process a little bit of, of one story um, that is, you know, standalone as well as being part of this collection. And, and funnily enough, I mean, do you feel like it, it doesn't have let's talk about the theme in terms of this story. <laughs> it's well, like her hair is missing. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually. Yes. And eventually <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> Well, yeah, to just summarize for the listeners, it's about, it's based on a San Francisco librarian named Lowell, and his wife has left him, and he unexpectedly finds love while he's selling uh, their old Toyota. <laughs> um, and I think the absence there, the reason I picked this story is the absence there actually kind of ends up in a liberation. Um, you know, we often think of loss or people going missing as as leading to grief and despair. But I mean, it, it's tumultuous for him. But he's actually finally able to move on beyond the divorce or the separation, which mm -hmm. I think eventually will be a divorce. If I can speak for Lowell, <laughs> <laughs> I'm allowed to do that. Well, um, she's living so with someone else. Yeah. Somewhere else. So <laughs> things aren't looking good. It does feel like it's headed that direction. Who knows? Yeah. Things aren't looking good for Lowell. No, no. <laughs> I think, and I think, um, you know, he meets this woman while he's selling, his, actually his wife's uh, old Toyota. Right. Um, and she has this shaved head and he is mesmerized by this shaved head. Um, and so, you know, in every story, and I would say, in every novel, in every narrative, I would say there's always something that leads us back to a real thing about the author, you know, <laughs> some kind of fact. I call it and, the Terry Gross question. <laughs> it's like, what, are, what could she ask you about? <laughs> yeah, so, so the fact, which is a very strange fact, is that I've always wanted to shave my head. I don't think I ever will shave my head, but I have always wanted to do it. And I've always thought that women who shave their heads look really beautiful. <laughs> um, and so the thing about um, the, the, the woman with the shaved head is that she's just not based on a single person that I know. Mm -hmm. She's just appeared in my brain one day in the back seat of a car, you know, Im imagined car. Um, <laughs> And there was this kind of yearning that came up. So that's really what, you know, and inspired is she this story. And homage to Fanny Flag. <laughs> <laughs> she, 
she well i got the name from fanny flag yeah. <laughs> yeah flag her name is flag with two g's yeah that because i think that's such a cool name yes yeah. i will say um, I, sh I shaved my head when i was 19 but only the once like i just let it grow right back in oh i bet you looked really i bet you looked really great it was interesting <laughs> Well, I, I have been a Zen practitioner for a while, and, you know, there's a lot of women in the Zen community with shaved heads, and I think they look really good. But yeah. this woman in particular is quite beautiful. Um, and for some women, having a shaved head, in fact, kind of brings out their beauty. Mm -hmm. So so what happens is that, you know, she she's very mysterious, and, and Lowell is very attracted to her. Um and but she kind of comes and goes in her own way. She's um, yeah. you know listening to her own drummer. That's for sure. She's <laughs> you know so. But in a way, she is the catalyst that moves him on. He he. She arrives and he's really stuck. He's sitting in the living room, you know, eating pizza, drinking beer, not really going out. He's a librarian. He's not even reading books. But it wait, does it say he's a librarian? Yeah. Okay, because for some reason that. Well, doesn't I think there's not actually he's a librarian. He works at the San Francisco yeah, Library. Yeah. For some reason I didn't, you know, that didn't. Say yeah. But much else it's did. Stuck with me. Yeah. So this idea of kind of deepest desire, I think, is an interesting for me is a kind of an interesting question. Like what? It's not just the deepest desire of your main character, which I think is really important. But maybe a deep desire that you've had, you know, the writer has had in their life mm -hmm. and that they can that they can explore th through fiction. Um, this was really a fun story to write, I have to say. <laughs> um, I, I was also flag as a dancer. I was a dancer at one point in my life in college. It's been like a long time. But kind of I knew I had a sense of what a dancer would look like and. I didn't know a dancer named Flag, and I didn't know a dancer who acted like this, but a modern dancer, I should say. Yeah. Um, Not but, a Martha know. Graham style. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, so what kind of, like, tell us, like, something about this story that really changed, or if there was something, like, from the, from the sort of early to later drafts, and, in res and if, if so, in response to what? Um, the ending changed quite a bit. I would say that Without, I don't want to give away too much, but um, I feel like we may have passed that already. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll have to go through it. You know, I, I had, I, you know, so spoiler alert: Fly convinces Lowell to shave his head, right? Um, after they've made love, and um, it's quite an intimate act. I would, I would surmise. I, again, I haven't done it, but. The head shaving part. The head shaving part. Yeah, well, both the love making and the head shaving. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what changed is that I had, you know, I went further. This often happens. And maybe I don't know about it in a novel. I'm guessing it probably happens in a novel. But often in a story, you kind of write past your ending. Mm. So I had written past the ending where, you know, she says, she gives him sort of the verbal Dear John letter. You know, it's like, you're really nice. I really like you. But, you know, you and I are, you know, we're just not made for each other. And they're clearly not. <laughs> it's so different. Um, and so the ending really, like, had him in the backyard. And he was, like, I don't know, doing, doing you know, digging in the dirt and things that were just not really that meaningful. So the ending really crystallized when I thought, well, what is the moment when he gets it? 
you know, that mm -hmm. she's not coming back. And it was the moment that, you know, finally she buys the car. It takes a long time for her right. to come up with the money. And that was a nice kind of engine, I thought, to have this idea that she's paying off the car and they have these planned meetings to for her to like give him a check. Um, <laughs> you know, that he's standing on his front porch and he watches the car drive down the street, turn a corner and disappear. So she's missing in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his hair is missing. His wife is missing. The damn car is finally gone. <laughs> the damn car. Well, the thing is, he wants the car back um, because he wants her back now. He's right. changed. Right. But, but I think the moment is when he feels that, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to show up at work with this shaved head. I mean, none of this is hopefully hopefully this is clear as subtext. You know, he feels right. the, the air on his on his, dare I say, naked head and. um he realizes that, wow, you know, I'm going to have to deal with this. People are going to ask me questions. Yeah. And so even though he doesn't have flag in his life, he's got, he's, as I said, he's moved on. Mm -hmm. He's He's gone beyond just being kind of somebody's ex to more of a whole person. Right. So, and, and so what changed was that I stopped. I stopped kind of um, dieseling. I really ended the story at the, I think at a, the right moment. Uh huh. So once in a way, once your character changed, that's all, then, then it's over. That's what I thought. Yeah. I wanted though. I love stories. Again, this, you can do this in a short story. I think you can do it in a novel too. I love it when you can envision what might come next, mm -hmm. it's not on the page. But I was hoping that when people read the last paragraph of or best offer, they're like, Oh, there he is standing on the porch, <laughs> right? Standing on his front steps, and you know what's what's what is going to happen when he goes into the library, or when he mm -hmm. meets up with his with his ex, or you know what's that going to be like? Right. I mean, oh, you know, it makes me think. In some ways, what's tr true in, in many of these stories is that, like, the future is missing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That people get to a point where. They've maybe let go of something in the past or they've dealt with grief or loss. And, you know, it doesn't always sum up neatly. It's not like they've resolved or healed necessarily. Right. But they're looking suddenly at this other blank spot, which is the future. Right. Right. Instead of the blank right. thing in the past. Right. But they're bringing a different sensibility to that future. Is yeah. What I'm hoping. Yeah, that people, that people have or sense, or it's it's pushing them to even look at the future and yes, yes, good point. about what's missing. Yeah, good I like point. that. That's exciting. So, well, you know, it, this is like a box of chocolate. So even uh -huh. though we we kind of all collectively chewed that one chocolate, which doesn't mean it won't still be delicious, but there's I many feel like, others. I feel in like the book. we might need to come up with a different analogy because that one has been so overused. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's, there's a, it's a collection of short stories. This collection of short stories is like a um, collection of short stories. A collection of short yes, stories. It's, anyway, you know what I mean. We may, we may have spoiled the. I don't the think we spoiled surprise, one. I mean, I, what I hope is actually that when people get to that one, they feel like, oh, now I'm part of that conversation. Yes. Oh, as, as is banded. Okay. Um. <laughs> um. So, is there anything else? Because we're kind of running out of time. But um. Well, actually, I I 
I have one last talk question. about steal this. Or? Yeah, we're going to do that. But yeah. before okay. we do that, we'll have we have this. one last question, which is actually, and as you said, you like to pe- leave people sort of envisioning what comes next. Uh-huh. What do you think is a critical skill in, in making people have the opportunity to feel like the story is complete and yet there's more to envision? Mm, that's a balance. Yeah. Well, I I do think it goes back to character. I think you you have to feel invested enough in the character and that you know the character well enough to be able to look at this future or what's coming up next through their eyes. So for me, even in a short story, you know, we need, it doesn't matter that it's short. We need characters. Mm -hmm. We need really fully realized characters. And so, you know, my hope is that people will, will see the world in a way or at least find empathy with Lowell and his situation and mm-hmm. be able to see not as they would experience, you know, see the world not as they would experience as, a, as somebody who just shaved their head, but as as Lowell who has just shaved his head. Mm-hmm. Um, so in fact, I, is that an alternate title that you can say? who has just shaved his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, that's funny because the, yeah, the story, titles are tough. Um, the story did have other, Runs Great was a story, was a title for a while. I don't know, I just liked Orbest Offer because there's a way that um, Flag is sort of the o- OBO in yeah. the story. Um, <laughs> she's not really perfect for him, but in a way she, you know, she's a great offer too. I mean... I always, Technically, uh, she's the only offer. <laughs> yes, you're me. right. So OBO still guess, I guess wins. <laughs> yeah, or, that's true. That's ooh, true. Yeah, I guess it'd be ooh. Anyway. Um, the other thing I want to say is that the first story was really interesting to write because the whole point of the story, it's called uh, Bigger Than Life, is that there is no resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and with some that. people who read the story don't get it. They were like, okay, well, what happens next? And so... <laughs> Um, the point is, is that when, you know, this for me is, this is sort of the, the root of fact in the story is my, my brother-in-law did go missing and sadly decades later, he has not reappeared. Hmm. So I've had to live with that. And, you know, the whole, what you're living with is an inability actually to, to have resolution, right. inability to wrap your head, wrap your hands around, you know, something concrete. And that's what this ending is supposed to evoke. But I think yeah. sometimes... Well, it says, but we're not done. We're never done. So <laughs> that's we'll... the clue for the reader. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. Because... I love that. I love that. Well, you guys are really smart readers. So thank you. <laughs> but I've had, I've had confusion about that. Like, well, okay. So what's next? <laughs> right. Well, and that's sort of the thing about... That is a little bit of the thing about the sort of short story is that it's, well that's the balance that i was yeah. getting at was that sense of um communicating that right ambiguity or letting the reader co-create in some way at the end uh-huh yeah yeah it's really really interesting yeah, yeah and it's always a question like how many you know breadcrumbs do you leave in your breadcrumb trail yeah <laughs> To to help the reader, you know, co-create with you or to have to give them the pleasure, actually, of, of figuring some things out on their own because nobody wants it just handed to them. Right. That's not so interesting. So, um, yeah, but 
Do I think short stories in particular have to hit the right note at the end? I think that is a big difference between the short story and the novel. You need to end them on the right. You need to hit the right note at the end. And if you don't, it's a problem, big, much bigger problem than with the novel. Although I think you keep thinking of Shoba Rao's novel Girls Burn Brighter, which actually does this exact thing. Like it takes you to the to the edge of the end, the front edge <laughs> of the end and kind of leaves you there. And like I've talked to some people who are like, oh, my God, I just hated that. And then other people like, <laughs> loved that, you know. Well, and I was just, you know, it was so funny. I was thinking of Nina Schuler's The Translator. Um, huh? You know, we we end with um, her and her daughter's, you know, ashram. Her daughter is, uh, you know, not going to live. But I feel like that's that's similar too. We we have closure in a way to the to the one story, which is you know, the mother and daughter have made a connection, yeah. which is seemed to be what's missing. I would argue that there's something missing that, you know, the absence is driving almost every story. That's interesting. Yeah. Absence is driving Moby Dick. Absence is driving the translator. You know, the daughter is, you know, she has disappeared. And this whole book, a lot of the book is about not solely, but one of the threads, the plot threads is, you know, going to get, find the daughter and in a way reconnect with her. And so at the end, the daughter, mother and daughter have reconnected yet the world has irrevocably changed because yeah, the daughter's not going to always, you know, not, yeah, not going to be there that much longer. She, she's very, she has terminal illness. I believe it's cancer. So, you know, I, I think Nina does a really nice job at the end. Yeah. And we actually interviewed Nina and there, so there'll be a link in the show notes to that episode. Oh, good. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's, in, we're in a writing group together. Sorry. Oh, great. Early drafts of that book. But um, one of my favorite writers. He's wonderful. Um, so it is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow, professional poets steal, said T.S. Eliot, amongst others. And so we think at the end of each episode about something we've come across in our readings or wanderings that we would like to take and make our own. Um, and who would like to go first? Do you want to go first, Lori, or would you like me to? Um, you can go first. All right. So I this mine's a little bit different than usual, but I was actually wandering around the bookstore and I picked up a book and I cannot remember what it is anymore. I just have to go back to like that physical spot in the bookstore and find out. But I was reading, you know, the jacket kind of thing, and it was it was some sort of mystery. And um I feel like it was one one of those bookstore books, like a book. Anyway, but the thing was that somebody had left kind of all these clues, like somebody um, for, for his own reasons had like created this sort of trail of, for this other, the, which this other person picks up on and is following. And I thought, well, gosh, that's sort of like, not exactly a cheat, you know, but there's like, but there's this thing, if you're wanting to do a mystery where, where if somebody creates a set of clues for somebody else, like that's one way to do it. And like, that's all the Dan Brown books, right? It's like, oh, right. Paper towns. Paper towns. Oh, John Green. Right. So like these deliberate kind of setups where somebody creates a set of clues and 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 it's it's just easier than like the world having to create the clues right but but it, it is it a cheat I don't know but I suddenly was thinking about it thinking oh that would be and, and I was thinking about this middle grade novel that I've sort of that I wrote sort of an, a beginning of and have thought about a bit mostly because I have middle grade readers I could force to listen to me read sections as I wrote it so I've <laughs> of doing that and um and I thought, oh, I want to steal that. I want to make somebody like 
and I have this whole other element, but anyway, so that, so that somebody's like deliberately planting clues, um, which does let you set up a, a really fun puzzle. It's in a, a little less of a totally difficult way than when you're mm-hmm. when like, than when it's just life, which is sort of more like my current book that I'm just finishing. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that is what I want to steal is the, the slight, the possible cheat of having a puzzle maker. Don't call it a cheat. <laughs> having a puzzle maker behind the puzzle. It's like talk about God in the machine, you know. Huh. Why, yeah. Why call it a cheat? Well, because it's because it's like God in the machine, right? Because it's like there's somebody back there moving all the pieces around. No, okay. no, right, no. God in the machine. It? No, Deus ex machina means that we've gotten the ending because of an intervention okay. that has nothing to do with the actions of the character. Right. So just the character who's planting the puzzle has to be highly motivated and yes. be have a reason to make a puzzle. Then it, then yeah. it'll work. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> well, it's just... It, it, Angie, are you going to go or... You can go. Okay, well, it's just so interesting because I teach a class at UC Extension called Learning from the Masters Techniques of the Literary Greats and I use the same exact quote from from T.S. Eliot and um, but I, I'm a big believer in in stealing um, and what I the, the latest steal for me is actually kind of like a reclaim hmm. um, I, I have now read tw- at least twice Laurie Oslin's wonderful novel called After the Parade and in that novel she has so much backstory Hmm. And it's fascinating backstory. And of course, I I came up through the MFA system and it was like, no backstory. (laughs) Do not write backstory. And people would make these analogies, actually. Every piece of backstory is like a rock that you put in the backpack as you're (laughs) climbing up the mountain of your story. And so, you know, I have said that to students myself. And now I wish I could take it back because... (laughs) I want to say that interesting backstory, which is backstory that, you know, deepens the stakes and reveals character is fantastic. And Lori, Lori's book is just full of, and she will, I use the word digress, but I don't mean it in a negative way. She will digress like from, you know, from, Aaron is the main character. He's 40. You know, we'll go back to Aaron at in college and then we'll go back to Aaron as uh, a boy and then we'll go back to college and then we'll go to the present moment. And she handles all the transitions so well. Um, and I'm just really stealing everything I can about how she makes backstory essential to the book mm-hmm. and people will always say backstory is necessary now i would say you know in a collection of sh- stories or in a, in a single short story you know we cannot handle tons of backstory we just can't <laughs> but in, in a novel we can handle more but i'm writing lots of backstory um i'm finding it hard because i have these habits of like no 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 like focus on the front story but you know, once I kind of push beyond that, it's been really fascinating. And I have no idea how much it's going to end up in the actual final book, the final novel. But I want to say that, you know, these formulas that were given, don't do this or don't do that, um, I think can be, can be, can be unhelpful. Yeah, I agree. 
it's how to do it well rather than don't do it. Yeah, but she if it, if you're interested in backstory and you and you want to see how you know a master at it, someone you can steal from, check out after the parade. Awesome, and that'll be in the show notes. All right, Anne. Yes. Um, well, I actually uh, have been listening with Leo to that's our Lorenzo. We call him Barbara nice. Oakley's book for kids and teens about learning. And so... Do you remember what it's called? It'll be in the show notes. Yes. Anyway, her original book was A Mind for Numbers. And one of the things that she really stresses is these two different uh, attention modes. So there you have your diffuse and your focus mode. And that you really need to feed the focus mode, but then you really need to take the diffuse mode and allow it to do its work in, in its way. And um, I think that, you know, between now and our next podcast, let's do a little experiment. I want to have a little more intentionality about um, really feeding, like doing that focus time and then really being clear that that focus time is over and, you know, letting the next uh, diffuse mode in. I was just listening to a podcast in which the person was quoting Wayne Dyer, D-Y-E-R. Oh, yeah. And apparently he has this video called like the last five minutes or the five minutes before you go to sleep or before mm-hmm. you go to sleep or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it'll be in the show notes if those clues are sufficient. And, um, and you know, and it's this whole thing of like, if you if you sort of consciously put in your mind before you go to sleep something, then you're, you'll work on it, you know, while you're sleeping, which I definitely do. I think through my novel. I'm not right now, but when I was at a different stage with it. Um, oh, my God. I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah. And then you- I'm like, OK, what does she do next? And sometimes I'm like, well, what does happen in the high school graduation? You know, I mean, uh-huh. I'm just posing these questions to my you can tell I'm writing about her high school graduation. <laughs> um, I'm just posing these questions to my unconscious. And, you know. I'm sure you talk about this a lot in your classes and probably on the podcast, but you know, being a writer means living with self doubt. And mm-hmm. at this point I'm like, okay, you can have self doubt, but you, you, you've always risen, you know, your brain, your unconscious maybe has always risen to the occasion. So just trust it. Exactly. Well, in our, when we dream, we completely trust it. We never feel like, Oh, I have to do more research in order to dream. <laughs> right. We just, you know, Oh, I don't know enough or, you know, that couldn't mm-hmm. happen then. <laughs> those two things can't be in the same space like yep they, they, i do whatever i want <laughs> yeah but i mean i just think that um so i woke up this morning so i did it last night i woke up this morning nothing <laughs> <laughs> and then i'm like you know kind of lying in bed and i thought oh i got it i got it okay <laughs> yay and, yeah so but what know, I- it, it may not just show up immediately like you know again the unconscious yeah. will have its own time. But the other thing. thing is is actually doing a good job feeding the focus mode. Like really, if you don't have anything to work with, your diffuse mode is not going to uh-huh. have right. anything to work with. So when you are in your focus mode, you have to be somewhat intentional about setting some real goals around what you're going to focus on mm-hmm. and what you're going to you know do and then – your diffuse mode will say, here are these two completely random things that you would not have expected right. having a relationship, and yet they totally do. Yeah. So, um, you know, you still the, have to do the work. <laughs> yeah, I, I would completely agree that um, 
the having you know just posing the question is the intention mm. yeah that's great. um and that's that's really important um i find it really hard when i've kind of finished with a big kind of put on a big arc like a mini arc and i'm like okay what's next that's always the hardest point for me is like well what does happen next mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so you know that takes some some that takes a lot of attentionality and I don't know if you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but now my latest thing is I do not get out of bed (laughs) until I have, you know, some kind of, you know, either I've written or I have a plan about what I'm doing. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. Now, you know, I don't have young children, um, but I want to just say that I just... I don't know, there's something about being close to your dreams that is so, I find so um, helpful. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I get out of bed because usually there's, you know, at least several people and a dog. And <laughs> but um, but I, I, I write before I do any other reading or, you know, tuning into the world because that is an amazing time. Yeah. Lori, yeah. T- where can people find your book? Um, well, get it. Uh, I would love for people to find my book and my book can be found on um, Amazon, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, not, I'm not going to start with Amazon. Um, indie, indie books, I think it's called. Yeah, indie, indie bound. bound. Indie, bound. indie bound. Thank you. It can be found on Barnes and Noble. It can be found on Amazon. You can also buy it from my publisher, which is Regal House Publishing. Regalhousepublishing.com. You can find it. Um, yeah. Yes. So, uh, go get it. It's available in several venues. Yeah. I, I, and I, I love to hear from my readers, you know, my email, you can, I have a contact on my website and I love to hear, and I'm on, I have a Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter at, um, at Lori Ann Doyle. Um, and I have Lori Ann Doyle author on Facebook and, you know, my author page offers writing tips. It's not just all about, (laughs) <laughs> the book and book readings, but I try to, I don't know. I'm celebrating Angela Carter this week because mm. I just love her. Cool. She's writes very spooky fairy. T- well, she takes fairy tales and makes them mm-hmm. very and spooky. And she's a perfect Halloween. How she's a perfect author for this Halloween week, but um, yeah. And yeah. we will have the link to your website as well. And all of those things. Thank you. So um, people can go find out more and read more of the, not chocolates, whatever new metaphor we're coming up with. <laughs> thank you so oh, much. Well, thank you so much, um, Elizabeth and Angie. I love talking to you. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading your work and seeing the film. Yay. Thank, thank you. you. And looking forward to reading your novel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.